Hello everyone and welcome back to the Seen and Not Heard podcast. I'm Melrose, your host, resident cam girl, and resource for all things webcam. Last week we talked about how people in my life found out about my webcam career. And this week we're going to talk about what dating is like when you work in this industry. Because believe it or not, we do date. We have successful relationships, find love, endure heartbreak, and get married. I, I thought a lot about how I was going to write this episode. I wanted to be careful not to offend anyone, but at the same time speak my truth based on my perspective and my experiences. All I can say is before getting into this segment is to my exes, to all the men I've loved before, I'm sorry. For a few of you, the world is about to get insight into both of our pasts, and some of what I say, you're probably going to wish I hadn't. But then again, if you didn't want the world to know what a piece of shit you treated me like, maybe you shouldn't have done it. And then for the others, consider this a glowing recommendation to all your future girlfriends or wives. We weren't a fit, but... You're part of the reason I am who I am today, and I'm eternally grateful to you for that. You molded me. You taught me things about myself that have led me to where I am today, in a extremely healthy and happy marriage, something I thought I would never do, because to me, marriage is so medieval. It's outdated. It's a, a strange concept and institution. The idea of loving one person forever has always seemed like a fairy tale to me. But now, I'm here. And there aren't enough words in the world to describe how grateful I am to be married to my husband. Many things change over the course of time. Perspectives change, feelings change, attitudes change. And so do people. I have changed so much over the last seven years of my webcam career that I wouldn't know where to start when explaining it, but I'm going to try through my relationships. One thing I've always done, strangely enough, is categorize segments of my life by who I was dating at the time. I realize that this probably demonstrates some unhealthy emphasis on my romantic relationships, but when I think back to parts of my life, this is how I've mentally divided them up. Now, I'm not going to provide full names, but instead just name my exes by the first letters of their first names. Then if they feel like coming forward or calling into the show, that's, you know, their choice. Also, I'm only going to talk about relationships I had during my webcam career specifically, since that's what pertains to this podcast as a whole. So to all of my exes from high school, lucky for you, you're safe. So the first notable mention is O. O and I actually did date for a while in high school, but it hadn't been a very healthy relationship. I was this 18-year-old girl, still struggling with who I was and where I was going in life, and at that time, there was nothing I wanted more than for him to love me. 
It all started when O asked me to my senior prom. I actually didn't even know much about who he was before then, but we had mutual friends and they decided to pair us together. We hit it off and attended prom together and eventually fell in love. We got along well and we had fun. O was really into soccer and MMA fighting, so we went to a lot of sporting events, whether it was, you know, as spectators or as him competing and me cheering him on from the sidelines. O and me dated for about one year before things really headed south. We began fighting constantly, bickering about stuff that just didn't matter. And on top of that, O was constantly messaging other women. Anyone from exes to random girls to mutual friends. He was the guy that I could not make love me. And that first part of our relationship is categorized in my mind that way. O was really insecure, which is probably why he was always seeking validation and attraction from other women. But his insecurities also made him very jealous. And I had already been modeling in my earlier high school years, so when I became 18 and started wanting to do more lingerie and swimsuit work, it didn't go over very well. Over that first year we were together, I was taught unintentionally on his part to believe that I wasn't worthy of love or honesty, that I wasn't good enough for him or anyone else, and I wasn't ever going to be. The relationship only ended because I found out about him at a high school party where O had hooked up with five of my closest friends. Some he'd just kissed, some he'd gotten blowjobs from in the kitchen. A kitchen we had often cooked and eaten together in. These are the people I should really name. But anyway. On top of losing my year-long boyfriend, I had lost a handful of girlfriends that I thought I could have really trusted. When I look back at the O year of my life, I think losing him and my friends were both equally damaging and catastrophic to me. Breakups are hard enough, but to lose your entire social circle at the same time was just absolutely horrific. I was completely broken at that time in my life. I called off work for the bank that I had been working at three days before I could hold it together long enough to show my face to the outside world. And I became so deeply depressed that I remember waking up in the morning and wondering how it's possible to wake up so immensely sad when nothing that day had even happened yet. I remember struggling so much to figure out who I was again after that relationship. Someone asked me my favorite color at work just in passive conversation, and I caught myself replying with his favorite color. I didn't know what food I liked or what I enjoyed watching on television because so much of the last year of my life had been doing whatever I thought would please him. It's strange to feel so outside yourself, and it's taken me a long time to find this girl again. And I've had to make a very conscious effort in my life and in all of my relationships since then, not to lose her. After that breakup, I leaned heavily on my mom. 
and my best friend, Natalie, and my mom's best friend, Debbie, who had been living with us that summer. Debbie held me countless times at 3 a.m. while I wept over the toxic love I thought I'd lost. Debbie passed away this past year, and as heartbroken as I am, and as heartbroken as I felt back then, that doesn't compare to the pain I felt a few months ago losing her. Over time, I began to put the pieces back together. But oh, he didn't make it easy on me. He would drop off gifts at my house, letters apologizing and trying to win me back. And to his credit, I know he meant it. I know he was hurting too. A large part of me really wishes the friends that betrayed me had cared to make amends as much as he had. It was pretty much from that experience where I lost all trust in women. And that's a really sad thing because I've led a really lonely life as a consequence. But I was tired of trying to make people love me with friendships and relationships alike. And although he had made it clear that he was also struggling with our breakup, I knew that I needed to move on. I needed to figure out who I was and there was no way I could do that with him in my life. So I cut him out of it. A clean break would be best, I thought. And a break it ended up being. After a few months had passed, I began talking to a guy that we're going to call A. A and I had worked at a pizza place back in my high school years. He'd seen me go through what I had with O and our breakup, and he'd offered to lend an ear if I ever wanted to talk. We did talk. We talked a lot. And A, he had this amazing way of just making me laugh and forget all of my problems, even just for a minute. We laughed at everything and anything, and whatever time I spent with him was always so much fun. A was the guy that taught me how to love again. After being broken so badly, he was the most patient guy I have ever met until meeting my husband now. A would understand when I had to excuse myself because O was calling me, upset, and I was fearful that he'd do something stupid. A never second-guessed me or my motives. He never asked for explanations. He just let me be. And in that space where I was finally allowed the room to breathe and explore and figure out who I wanted to be, I finally became her. The entirety of what I went through with O didn't leave me unscathed. But I had healed as best as I could at the time because of A. The thing that A didn't know was despite how unconditionally he loved me, I was still struggling to love myself. I had developed an eating disorder from the pain and insecurities from my ex and ex-friends and what they'd done to me. 
When I was dating A, I began modeling again and shooting a lot more often. And the modeling industry standards have never been kind ones. But that piled on top of the insecurities and inadequacies I felt from my past relationships took such a toll on me. I started dieting and watching my weight with zero calorie drinks and nothing but salads. We all know how sustainable a lifestyle like that is. Then, when me and A would go out for dinner or food, I'd just say that I'd already eaten or took only a couple bites and just moved food around on the plate with my fork while holding a conversation. It's a trick a lot of people with anorexia do. They try to distract other people at the table with conversation and the appearance of eating a meal together. I remember one time when I had an important photo shoot coming up. It's so important, I don't know what it was right now. I can't remember it. But leading up to that photo shoot, I didn't eat anything for three days except for one single Dorito chip. And I thought I looked amazing when I got those photos back. I was 21 and 110 pounds and that number still upset me. There is one occasion when I passed out in a checkout line at a clothing store and I woke up on the ground a few minutes later. They had called an ambulance because I was dehydrated from taking diuretic pills. Those are pills that remove excess water from your body if you're not familiar. What they didn't know is that I had paired those pills daily with fat burners and no food. And on that particular instance, it was a 100 degree summer day in Chicago and I had just left a tanning bed. So it was this perfect storm and the paramedics refused to let me drive myself home. So A picked me up and took me home and then later went with a friend to get my car. I don't think A ever noticed the entirety of this side of my life. Or maybe I just like to think that it wasn't obvious anyway. But aside from this secret that I had been keeping, we were happy. A was not the jealous type and he had nothing to be jealous of. I was infatuated with him. Sure, you know, he smoked weed more than I'd like and he drank a lot more beer than I would have liked to have seen. But other than those two small things, we were great together. I had just moved out, gotten my first apartment, which he basically lived at, and we adopted a dog together. I still have that dog. Many of you know him. His name is Wiley. When I think back to this specific moment in my life, I swear, this dog saved me. I'll, I'll explain that later, but... A and I were both together and happy and thought we were going places. I was working a steady job at the bank and go-go dancing downtown on the weekends for extra cash. And about a year into our relationship together, a go-go dancer friend told me about webcam. At first, it's just this thing that they had mentioned, and I didn't say much about it to anyone. My experiences with relationships prior to this had taught me that there's no way a guy would ever let his girlfriend do that. But A knew how hard I've worked. He had always wished he could spend more time with me, 
and me juggling two jobs didn't make that the easiest. Eventually, after a lot of thought, I made up my mind. I wanted to try this webcamming thing, and I wasn't going to do it without the support of A and my mom. So I spoke with them about it. My mom was fairly easy. She was on board after I explained to her the way I saw it, the way I explained it earlier to you. Now A, on the other hand, was a little more hesitant. I explained what I would and wouldn't do on cam, how much money there was to be made, and after about 30 minutes, he said, try it. You can always stop if you want to. I think that was the first time it ever really felt like I had the full support of a significant other. And it felt really amazing. Things happened really quickly after that. I made a lot of money really fast and all of a sudden life was different. I quit the bank job and I quit go-go dancing and webcam became my single income. And it was a really good one, but making a ton of money at a young age is extremely difficult to navigate. And that part aside, going from being this young, insanely responsible girl to a woman without any real responsibilities is a very dangerous transition. You go from having a routine, set hours and obligations, to having nothing you actually have to do all day long. So a lot of days, I did nothing. When you can watch Netflix for six straight days and then log on and work for two or three and still pay your bills, you've entered into a very weird space. A space where tomorrow's to-do list keeps growing, but it never actually comes. Webcam also can be very isolating. You're literally locked in a room away from everyone with no real physical human contact. And eventually, no matter how much you really fight it, your self-worth slowly morphs into a direct measurement of the amount of money you were able to make that day. So for someone who was already fragile mentally and struggling with an eating disorder, you can probably see how this was a cocktail for disaster. And that's the point when A suggested we get a puppy. And it was probably the single best thing he ever did for me because he gave me back a responsibility. He gave me a reason to get up in the morning because some furry little helpless thing was depending on me. He gave me a reason to take a walk a few times a day and get fresh air and a fresh perspective that I'd been sitting inside my apartment or even less when I was sitting inside my camera room. And it was probably the single best thing he ever did for me because he gave me back a responsibility. He gave me a reason to get up in the morning because some furry little helpless thing was depending on me. He gave me a reason to take a walk a few times a day and get fresh air and a fresh perspective that I haven't been having when I was sitting inside my apartment and even less when I was sitting inside my camera. A brought Wiley into my life and Wiley saved it. It's a strange thing to me, but true 
that that time in my life where I made the most money was the time that I had the absolute most inner turmoil and unhappiness. The only thing going well for me was my online persona and my love life, until it wasn't. During that third year of our relationship, things started to unravel. It was starting to feel like I enjoyed being online more than I enjoyed being with him since I was working non-stop on cam. I wish that he would have told me this then, but I didn't find this out until years after our relationship had ended, and I had started getting fed up with the amount A was drinking on a regular basis. I started to feel more like a babysitter than a girlfriend, all while he started to feel more like a roommate than a boyfriend. After three wonderful years together, I decided to break things off with A. It was, at the time, the hardest decision I had ever made in my life. One of the breaking points was when a quote-unquote friend of A's named Kyle, you don't deserve your name censored, texted me asking how much it would cost to sleep with me. And he didn't do it as a joke. He was actually asking. A was a really non-confrontational person and he never said or did anything about that instance. In addition to that, when people would see pictures or videos of me online and ask A about them, he started saying that he didn't know what I was doing. I started to feel like he was ashamed of me, even though I had his blessing to go into webcam from the very beginning. Feeling like your best friend is ashamed of you breaks your heart all on its own. And I had always told A that if our relationship starts to fall apart, I want to get out before it crashed and burned. Because we were always friends first, before anything else, and I'd really hoped to preserve that. Before I met my husband, I used to think that A was the one that got away. Because he was the closest thing that I had had to real happiness thus far in my life. But in retrospect, he was just a wonderful person, giving his first girlfriend what he thought she needed. And 99% of that is exactly what I needed. Love, support, trust, and appreciation. But it was never meant to last forever. And so, it didn't. After A and I had separated, I broke down and told my mother what was going on with my eating. She had set me up with a team of people to get help. I had a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a nutritionist, and a regular doctor all treating my anorexia and helping me deal with what I had gone through. It helped to talk to people about everything, and even about webcam and whether or not that was a healthy line of work considering what I'd been struggling with. I talked a lot about my father in therapy and how I felt his absence had affected me seeking approval from people. We talked a lot about my mother too and how us living together in a house I'd bought was actually straining our relationship at times. We got to the bottom of a lot of things, but nothing could have prepared me for what was about to happen. Now, 
I'd like to think that I'm a smart girl that knows what's good for me, but I have made mistakes. And I am not saying that this was a mistake, but more of a detour. After A and I broke up, I continued on with my modeling career. I started doing calendars and fashion shows and ring card work for a local fight team. About six months after A and I had parted ways, I was ring-girling a fight when out walks O. He was on the card to fight that night, and I had no idea. Of course, it had been over three years since I saw him, and I was way more attractive now, so at the time, aside from shock, I kinda had that whole look at me now attitude. But that unraveled pretty quickly when he reached out to me and we began talking again. He had just had a daughter four months earlier and was in a failing relationship with her mother. After talking for a while, we tried to make things work once more. But this time, I was a webcam girl. He said it wasn't a big deal and he wasn't as jealous as he used to be. And he was really sorry for everything that he had put me through after high school. He was sincere, and I know he really meant it. But this time around, our power dynamic had changed. I was this extremely independent woman who didn't need him or anyone, and because of therapy, I wasn't searching for love or approval in places that didn't want to give it to me. And I think he realized that too. Oh, having his daughter really matured him a lot. And it was great to see him as a father. And at times, it was great to try out the role of stepmom. We were not as toxic together as we had been before. But that didn't mean that we didn't have entirely new obstacles this time around. He had a daughter and a psycho baby mama. And I lost sight of work and neglected webcam. It started slowly you know, skipping a day online here and there. Until before I knew it, I couldn't pay my bills. He had a really hard time holding down any job at all during this stretch of time because of the constant battles with his ex over his daughter. When he was scheduled for work, she'd drop her off unexpectedly or refuse to pick her up on days she knew he had to work. I think she was just angry and looking for ways to punish him. And on days when she wasn't using her daughter to intentionally inconvenience him, she would just keep her away from him altogether. That destroyed O. I remember holding him while he cried once, just wondering how one man can love this little girl so much, yet my father hadn't bothered calling me in seven years, and no one was keeping me away from him. Anyway, this period of my life was the less impactful part of O and me in a relationship. He did no damage this time. Instead, I self-sabotaged my business by choosing him over it, and eventually it caught up with me. Our financial troubles overflowed into our relationship and we called it quits. I think I was mentally out of that relationship sometime before that, and I think he knew it. 
I think he was only holding on to me because he was scared to do the whole dad thing alone. But he needed to. And he's great at it. Last time I heard from O, he had custody of his daughter and has a really great job that he's excelled at. I am so proud of the person he's become because I was there through all of those struggles and he deserves all of the success that he's seeing now. Hell, we both do. This next relationship is going to take some time, but before I can get into it, I should probably finish the story about my date from hell that I ended the last episode with. Considering this date was a rebound date, fresh out of ending things with O the second time around, I had wrote off all relationships and I had never really been able to stay single before. I'd only managed a few months between relationships at best, but that time off was all work and not a whole lot of play. So after this time around when me and O ended, I was just looking for fun. I wanted to go out and be pretty and have drinks and meet people. So I got asked out by someone and I thought, what the hell? I've had him on Facebook for a while and he's always doing really fun things. Going on boats, to shows, traveling. So he takes me on a date. First, he makes us dinner at his house, and then we go to a show. I was fairly uncomfortable from the very beginning, just because everything seemed kind of pushy and fast. From the time I got there, he would put his hand on my knee or kiss me on the cheek. All I remember thinking is, dude, you barely know me. But he was attractive, and I was looking to go out and have fun, so I let things slide. Things that I ordinarily wouldn't have. Then, later that night, he pulls out his phone and he Googles my name. Not my real name, no. He Googles my first webcam name and he pulls up old videos people had recorded of me and posted online to forums and he shows them to me. I was so disgusted. Not by me, not by the videos but by him. I kept thinking, wow, the fucking audacity. Needless to say, it didn't really end up going anywhere. And after that date, I decided I was gonna try dating the way everyone else my age was doing it. So I joined Tinder. Full disclaimer here, I know that this works out for some of you, but for most of us, it leads to horror stories like the one I am about to tell you. I swiped right on a fellow from Montgomery, Illinois that we are going to call C. He was well-built, attractive, and a teacher for challenged students. Sounds too good to be true, right? Spoiler alert, it is. C and I ended up meeting a week after swiping right for each other at a Starbucks in Montgomery, Illinois. We had a nice conversation and he verified that he wasn't being catfished because he didn't think I was real and then he set a second date. On the second date, 
We went to the movies, shared our first kiss. Everything was great. We got along well and enjoyed some things in common. But there was always something inside my heart that had me holding back with him. I didn't know if it was just me being guarded or what, but I always had my foot halfway out the door on this guy. After about a month or so of seeing each other, we were laying in his bed, listening to music and talking. He had had this journal that he would write things in now and then, and I did too at the time. And he opened it up and together we wrote down all the things that we wanted to do. I wrote down things like traveling and riding in a hot air balloon, which had always been a dream of mine. And then he added a few things that he wanted to cross off his bucket list. Then, after an hour of sharing our personal hopes and dreams, I turned to him and said, So, what's your catch? He laughed and said, What do you mean? And I said, Well, everyone who seems perfect has a catch, so just out with it. Tell me, what's your catch? This had always been my line. It was an easy way for me to segue into telling potential boyfriends that I worked in webcam. Usually I just wait and they tell me that they smoke cigarettes or something like that. But he caught me really off guard when he replied, I have terminal brain cancer. I wasn't given the specifics in full, but I got the gist of it. He had told me that the average life expectancy for his type of brain cancer was 7 to 11 years. He explained that he'd already been through chemo and was trying to treat it alternatively with CBD oil and other things. And after hours discussing all of it at length, he asked, so what's yours? I had completely forgotten that I only asked him what his catch was so that I personally could find a way to tell him about my own. My mind was all over the place, wondering if it was even wise to pursue someone who was in such a circumstance. But then I told him. I told him about webcam and how I had been doing it for the past however many years, what it means, what it entails, and he said he couldn't care less. He seemed intrigued even. Eventually, we decided to get serious and would commute between his house, Montgomery, and my house in Glendale Heights. We would see each other mainly on the weekends, which he always complained about, but I actually enjoyed. See, he had a master's degree in nutrition and was fighting his cancer with health. He was on this extreme version of the ketogenic diet, eating no carbs, no meat, no dairy, no sugar, and working out at least once a day, but usually twice. And when he was around, I was expected to follow suit. It's kind of hard to drink pop and chow down on cookies when your loved one is dying of cancer. So even though it was never specifically stated, I automatically showed support for him by living the life in the lifestyle that he was. I started to see my body change at one point and got really into my own health and fitness. I did learn a lot from him about how to eat, what goes into food, and what it really means to be healthy, which I think kind of helped me with my eating disorder. At least it kept it at bay at times. Then other times, he would go home for the week, and I'd drive straight to Portillo's and slam two hot dogs and all the fries I could handle. 
So I'd say 70% of my habits were incredibly healthy. But I sort of developed this binge and purge pattern where he'd go away for the week and I'd stay the course for a few days then break down and binge on junk food and soda. Then he'd come back the following weekend and I'd course correct. Anyway, we'd been together a year now and had no real problems emerge. I'd gone to his doctor appointments, I knew the reality of things, and I made the decision to love him and to love him like he was dying. Because in both of our eyes, he was. That meant that I didn't say anything about the small annoyances. We didn't ever bicker because I would evaluate everything from that angle that he could be gone tomorrow. So does this really matter right now? It made things easier on both of us because the stupid stuff that came up in normal relationships didn't, not in ours. Our relationship was grounded in life and death matters only. And I've tried to remember to love people that way going forward because it truly is the best way. Because even though not everyone in our lives has a prognosis, the reality is we're all awaiting death sentences. About the one year mark with C is when shit hit the fan. He had asked me to break my lease and leave my apartment in Glendale Heights to move in with him because his roommate was moving out and of course, time was of the essence. Reluctantly, I agreed. I say reluctantly because I knew I still had one foot out the door on this relationship. And back then, knowing he had cancer, I assumed that was just a way of protecting myself somehow that I was partially trying not to get attached. But that wasn't it at all. There were weird red flags that I had been ignoring. Him always wanting to leave my family get-togethers, for instance, or watching him lie to other people in his life constantly, and him making me feel like this inconvenience to him. I remember once I was needing a ride to the airport because I had travel plans to go to LA and I asked my mom to take me at 3 a.m. because I didn't want to ask C. I was always on eggshells around him for some reason and I never knew why. In the midst of us talking about me breaking my lease, he had his first freak out. I went to the dentist, which he knew I was going to, and he kept calling and texting my phone repeatedly. It had been on silent like it usually is and been vibrating in my purse, unbeknownst to me. When the appointment was finally over, I opened up his messages to read, I could be dead right now, and you wouldn't have replied. Then as I backtracked and read the earlier messages, there was a flurry of, hey, where are you? Why aren't you answering? What could you possibly be doing? And then they escalated. Are you fucking kidding me right now? What if I needed you? How the fuck can you justify not picking up your phone? This threw up a huge red flag. And when I called him, I made that known. I told him point blank that this made me not want to move in together and that it wasn't right to put the blame on me when he knew where I was and what I was doing already. That this is completely unacceptable to put the weight of his hypothetical death on my shoulders because he was angry. He never apologized. Instead, he blamed his medication, as he often did. And I believed him, as I often did. A week later, 
I paid over $2,000 to break my lease and move in with him. Little did I know, I would be breaking his lease to move out two weeks later. I moved in with C in May, and that entire first week, I spent cleaning up a dirty bachelor's pad. Literally. I remember cleaning the refrigerator for three fucking hours. Because in all the years he'd lived there, he never had. He cuffed his townhouse in the type of state where it appears to be tidy and clean, but then, you know when you run your finger across something and it's black from dust? Or like, if you remove your socks, you kind of stick to the floors? He was that kind of guy. The first week together was fine. I was pretty much preoccupied with working out twice a day with him and cleaning up everything. But that second week is when things went south for our relationship. It was Mother's Day, and on Mother's Day, my family has a tradition of taking my mom up to the Arlington racetrack. They pass out flowers to all the moms, and usually the weather's pretty decent. So my family brings coolers and food, and we just have a good time. Well, C and I were supposed to attend this event, but C wasn't feeling well, and he wanted to stay home. He made the case that he needed a day to care for his cancer. Even emphasized how he had canceled seeing his own mother that day to focus on his health. So I went without him. I had a wonderful time at the track with my family. In all honesty, I was glad he didn't come because I wasn't required to leave early for no reason. And then my conscience started to get the best of me. What kind of a girlfriend was I? having a good time at the racetrack with my family when my sick boyfriend was alone, at home, suffering. I was getting into the car to leave when my phone went off. It was C. I opened the text message and read, what's your ETA? Which seemed extremely odd to me. He's never, ever asked me before what the exact time I was expected home was. But I told him, 5.45, I replied. And then home, I went. When I got there, I asked him how he was doing, and he basically said, I'm good, and I just slept all day. Oh, and he'd done laundry. I remember thinking, well, that's strange, because I just did our laundry. I told him that I was exhausted from waking up early to go to the racetrack, so I was gonna lay down for a bit. And then he said, oh, I'll join you, which also striked me as odd. Didn't you just say that you slept all day? He replied, yes, but not next to you. I was picking up that something was off, but I tried not to make a big deal out of it because it was probably nothing after all. And again, I wasn't making big deals out of most things. So to bed, we went. The next morning, he got up and he went to school for work. And I remember waiting for him to leave the house pretending to be asleep so that I didn't have to talk to him. When he left, I hopped out of bed and went on doing my own routine. Then I saw the basket of clean clothes that he had washed the night before, and like most men I've encountered, not put them away. So I began folding a tiny pile of laundry, and then I find women's shorts in them. Women's shorts that were not mine, and my dad. They were these really soft, expensive workout shorts. And I knew from the moment I touched them that they weren't mine. And it hit me. He had someone over yesterday. 
while I was at the racetrack. My heart started to pound. My hands started to get sweaty. Everything, everything kind of went red. I couldn't help but think that there's no fucking way he would do that to me. After all I fucking just did to move in with him last week, there's no way. So I put my detective hat on and away I went. See, I have always had the strict policy that at no point in a relationship is checking phones or digging into the other's past relevant to where they are now, unless they give you a reason to do so. And this was it. This was my green light. I went through his closet, all of his boxes. I found pictures of exes, which honestly I could care less about. And then I thought, hmm, I should check his iPad. When I went to open it, there was a lock code, which I thought was interesting because I had never seen him unlock it and all the times I'd seen him open it in front of me. Didn't slow me down much considering I guessed it on the first try. I was hoping that this iPad would link to his iMessage on his phone, but that was unsuccessful. Then I thought, I'll check his iWatch. But when I looked for it, I realized he had taken to wear it to work that day. So I went back to the iPad. Next thing I checked was his camera roll. And to my surprise, there was a video of him and his ex having sex in his room upstairs, the one I sleep in. It was an old video given from before when they had dated. But why the fuck do you still have it? Pictures are one thing, sex tapes, nah, not happening, bro. When I dug further, I found that he was messaging other women on this meetup app that's supposed to be used for making friends with like-minded people and networking. He messaged, and I screenshotted, over 17 women that he was reaching out for, and I quote, no strings attached sex since his cancer had limited his time on earth, end quote. And no, I'm not joking. And no, I'm not exaggerating. I still have the screenshots. Over 17 women he had tried to manipulate into screwing him by literally playing the cancer card. I couldn't believe what I was reading. I was furious, but not like, not like the whole burn his clothes, go psycho furious. More like, um, like an extreme calm washed over me and I was planning my moves meticulously, kind of furious. The way a serial killer would, I bet. I wouldn't know. So the first thing I decided to do was claim that I found the sex tape on his iPad and the pics of his ex. I would hold on to the meetup messages for later. It's always good to have something in your back pocket when you're going into battle. And I never show all my cards. Next, I called my friend at the time, a fellow cam girl, actually, and I told her that I would be moving out of my place with C, and I asked if she'd like to be roommates and move in together. She agreed, and we began the house hunt online. Then, I patiently waited for his school to get out, like an eager fifth grader. When he got home, he walked into the house, kissed me hello, I think I threw up in my mouth a little, and he went upstairs to the bedroom to change clothes. I had left the iPad with the sex tape on, laying on the bed, as well as the photos I found in his closet that he'd kept of him and his ex. The same ex, mind you, that he had in the sex tape. He came downstairs screaming, 
what the fuck is this? As if it were me in the tape. And I said calmly, I was actually hoping you could tell me that. Why would you keep a sex tape of your ex? He gave me a ton of bullshit excuses, like how he'd forgotten it was there, etc. But I knew he was lying. After all, I'd watched him lie to a million other people a million other times. We argued for a while, and things escalated. He was three times my size, after all. And when he got heated like this, he would scream into my face in a way that did honestly make me wonder if I was about to get my ass beat. But I held my ground. I didn't flinch, and I didn't waver. It sounds brave to you guys, telling it now. But in my head, I was thinking, holy fuck, I might not make it out of this. This is stupid. I'm, I'm not okay right now. This is not okay. But I stood my ground. When I was finally able to get a word in, between all of the bullshit that he was spewing, I said, what about the women's shorts that are in our laundry then? The laundry you just washed. And I was honestly not prepared for the lie that he was about to tell me. It was so fucking ridiculous. For a second, I almost believed it. (laughs) Now, before I tell you what he told me, keep in mind, I had just cleaned this guy's house from top to bottom and I had just moved in so I had gone through all of the clothes in his closet and in his dresser to make room for my own literally less than seven days ago and his reply about the shorts in the laundry was I keep the shorts from my ex because they're soft and I like to masturbate into them (laughs) god it even sounds dumb when I'm saying it now Now, my responses this whole time to him had been calm, but when he said that, I bursted out with laughter. You can't be fucking serious, I said. And then his demeanor changed from angry to irate to humiliated. And that was honestly only making me laugh harder. Because I'd hurt his ego. He went on a tangent about how could I accuse him of cheating when... During our relationship, I had filmed a girl-girl video with another cam girl. That I had cheated on him. Then he continued to attack me through my career by saying, How do you think I feel with what you do on the internet and all these fucking videos floating around with you in them? I was immediately fucking furious with this. In the entire year we'd been together, he had never even alluded to having issues with my job. In fact, aside from filming that video, He had barely even talked to me about work, and I had barely worked all year. He was a distraction, and I had been at the gym twice a day. So for a woman who has to shower, redo her hair, redo her makeup, go to the gym, come home from the gym, work out at the gym, it's like four hours out of my day that I could have spent on cam. And when I was on cam, it was dead. I'd lost my chat room, I'd lost my regulars. And when it came to that girl-girl video, I had asked him in a long conversation before doing it how he felt about it. I specifically went over what it would mean and that it would always be out there. And he said he couldn't care less, point blank, and that the only condition he had was that he wanted to watch it. So I attacked right back. How dare you try to throw my work in my face? I might have actually believed what you were saying if you didn't bring it up 
right after I found women's clothes in our laundry. Were you just waiting to hold this over my head or is it because you're desperate? He never apologized for that either. I forget exactly what the conversation was that followed, but after a few minutes, we were both calm. He said he would delete the video and that we would move past it. It was an order, in fact. But I nodded in agreement because we would move past it. I'd planned on moving out before he even understood what happened. So, yeah, I was past it. In fact, I had already repacked a bunch of my boxes and hidden them in his old roommate's room. I agreed because I had to buy time before finding my next place and signing my next lease. The funny part is, the version of us moving past it, for him, was buying a fireproof safe and putting it in his closet the next day. Locking away his journal, his iPad, and God only knows what else. As if that would have fixed our relationship. And if that would have been something I would have stuck around for. I was finally starting to see his true colors. This man was such an insult to me, to my intelligence, to my self-worth, to all those things I'd spent the last years developing, and I wasn't going to give him the satisfaction of closure. My plan was to continue packing by the end of the following week and just be gone one day when he came home after work, along with all of my stuff, leaving his townhouse empty like his cold little heart. But unfortunately, things don't always go as planned. I began filling my evenings with work, workouts without C, or meeting up with old friends. I was literally doing everything and anything I could think of to not only avoid C, but barter time before I could sign my next lease. And I did good for like four days. It was the hello kiss that killed me. That hello just got home from work kiss that had become such a habit of ours. And even though I despised this person with every cell in my body, I still kissed him hello on the way out the door to evade him. I still needed time and this was a matter of survival to me at this point. Then, I reached my breaking point. It was a Thursday evening, and I had made plans that night to deflect him by grabbing dinner and drinks with a few girlfriends. We went out, and I spent hours venting about everything that was going on. I told them about how he had reacted priorly, and they stressed some worry about my physical safety, and in all honesty, so did I. He was not someone that liked being accused or questioned, you know, the way liars and cheaters never do. And I had managed to stay calm as a cucumber up until that evening. But hearing myself tell my story made me irate. It was like getting a second perspective from a best friend and feeling angry for her, except she was me. And the voice I'd been listening to was my own, only it was out loud for a change. I admit, this vent session riled me up. So when I left them at about 12.30 a.m., I spent the entire car ride home trying to rationalize with myself. Stick to the plan, Mel. Stick to the fucking plan. You have nowhere to go yet. 
When I got home, I immediately grabbed Wiley and I took him out for a 1am walk. One, because C rarely walked him or let him out in my absence, but also because I thought, this always clears my head. Let me just try it. We walked at a fast pace. I kept weighing all of my options. Am I really going to let him get the best of me? I wanted to stay classy about this. I wanted to leave so graciously. And I wanted that impression to be the last one I left on him. And I didn't want to blow that. So when Wiley and I got back from our walk, I noticed C had left his iWatch charging downstairs. This was really unusual because I had actually no idea when or where he charged his iWatch. Many a nights he actually slept with it on, claiming that he had some iPhone app monitoring his sleep. It was just after 1.30 a.m. by this time, and I knew he'd probably been in bed for at least an hour and a half by now. So it's not like I was worried about him coming downstairs and seeing me go through his watch and even if he had woke up and come downstairs, in my opinion, he had long lost a right to privacy. Plus, if he was really that concerned, he should have locked it in his giant fucking fireproof safe like the psycho he was. Anyway, I unlocked the watch, which he had added a passcode to since I had gone through the iPad a few days earlier. But since he was an idiot, he used the exact same unlock code that was on his iPad. So, once I got into the watch, I had found all of the iMessages that he had deleted from his phone because he didn't know, at the time, that deleting a message from your iPhone doesn't automatically delete it from your watch. I opened a message from a number that wasn't saved, and there it was, the smoking gun. Over two weeks of messages between him and a friend. They were discussing a week before Mother's Day when and how they would get away from her boyfriend and me so that they could hook up. They went back and forth on dates and times and decided on Mother's Day. They said things like, I miss you and it's been too long. But I have a hunch that this was far from the first time. So now I had proof to go along with the shorts that she had left here and the 17 other hookup messages playing the cancer card that I'd saved for a later date from that meetup app. And I fucking lost it. <laughs> but not like, not like in a sad, hysterical kind of way. Kind of like I had actually expected to, but no. I lost it in a calm, tough, stern, powerful way. First, I was thinking, I can't go lay next to this fucking asshole. I'm just going to sleep on the couch. I mean, he has to be up in six hours for school anyway. And then I realized he's sleeping upstairs, blissfully ignorant, sleeping soundly in my bed. He watches television and plays video games on my TV. The dishes are mine. The furniture is mine. Almost everything in this house is mine. So I thought to myself, fuck that. And I marched upstairs, swung open the door, turned on the bedroom light, waking him up. He said, what's going on? And I replied, what's going on is you're sleeping downstairs. And then he started in on me as if somehow I'd done him wrong. 
Are you drunk? I have to be up for work tomorrow morning. I'm not going anywhere. And then I said again, sternly, you don't want this problem right now, so I'm going to suggest you sleep downstairs. Well, that didn't go over well. (laughs) He got up quickly and he started screaming at me. I stayed silent and waved my hand, encouraging him to grab a pillow and a blanket as I directed him toward the bedroom door. I took off my earrings while he ranted, unzipped my high heels, removed those. He's raging on about how I don't even know what I'm saying and how stupid I must be to make him sleep on the couch for no reason. So I turned to him, calmly, and unlocked my phone to start reading the pictures that I had taken of his iWatch messages. He didn't look surprised at all. In fact, he didn't pause or even break stride from screaming at me. He fucking doubled down. (laughs) What the fuck are you even talking about? I don't know what you're reading. You're fucking stupid. I thought you were done going through my shit, you fucking whore. You think you're so fucking special, you fat fucking piece of trash. See, he knew about my eating disorder struggles. So he knew what to push, what button, what would be below the belt with me. But nothing stuck. I smiled. I waved him once more towards the bedroom door because despite all of the hell he was raising, I was relieved to be done with this. The worst part about the whole thing is that I felt guilt. I felt guilty over feeling relief that I no longer was dating someone with an expiration date. It's so many kinds of fucked up. But at the same time, having cancer doesn't give you the right to treat other people like shit or to try to manipulate women that you don't know into having sex with you. And at one point, he was screaming so close to my face that Wiley actually walked into the room growling. That may have actually been the second time he saved my life. After Wiley showed up, C went ranting down the stairwell and downstairs to set up his night camping on the couch. But he decided to stay awake for three more hours, smashing all my belongings and throwing what he didn't break into a pile on the floor next to the kitchen. He called it helping me pack. I stayed up all night texting my girlfriends who were worried that he'd kill me. After I had sent him recordings that I'd been taking of him screaming at me in case he actually tried to. I still have those recordings. When he left for work the next morning, I packed some more and then drove an hour to apartment hunt with my new roomie. Unfortunately, I was still four days out from being able to leave this hell house. The next four days were an all-out fucking war, and I'm embarrassed to say how much I enjoyed it. (laughs) When he got home on day one, he beat me back from my apartment hunting, and he decided to put a chain, and not like a small one, like a a heavy-duty machine chain, through the refrigerator door so that I couldn't open them. So I decided to change the Wi-Fi password. since. Everything was in my name. The Wi-Fi became C's first full name and last name, cheated, so that all the neighbors knew. I thought it was funny. Next, he took my iWatch back for me. See, the entire time of the course of the year that we were dating, he had only given me one gift. It was a cheap dollar store picture frame with a few of our photos in it. And I thought it was sweet at the time, that is, until I saw it in the background of his sex tape filled with photos of him and his ex-girlfriend. Instead of him actually buying me a gift, he gave me an old frame he had and inserted photos of us. 
So when this year's birthday came around, he actually decided to buy me something. So he bought me an iWatch. And when I changed the password to the Wi-Fi, he took it back, which was fine. I mean, a few days later, a generous member online actually bought me a new one anyway. The next couple of days, I spent my mornings packing and moving things out slowly in my little two-door coop. And at night, I chose to just sleep at my mom's. It was really strange to have accomplished so much in my life. Bought a house at 21 for my mom and then, and then to end up back in it with everything I own and piles in the garage and me sleeping on the couch in my living room. It's funny how quickly you can go from on top of the world to under it. On the second to last day, when I went back to the house, he was there with roses. He told me that we could work it out and talked at length about how I was in his will and how I would receive some large sum of money when he died and that he didn't want to, and I quote, have to change that. Again, this was the clearest, most easy breakup I'd ever gone through because I'd always had my foot halfway out the door anyway. Initially, I thought it was because I didn't want to get attached after all he was dying, but now in retrospect, I knew. I knew on a cellular level that this was not a good relationship. Women have this undeniable intuition and it only steers us wrong when we're convinced to ignore it. I looked him dead in the eyes, smirking almost, and said calmly, we don't have to do this. It's over, I'm leaving, we are way beyond this. I have literally no interest in a relationship with you. And then he flipped. Within seconds from his fake crying and telling me to stay, he was this angry psycho screaming, how could someone like you leave someone like me? He seemed confused, so I showed him. And then, on the fourth and final day, my family showed up in full force to help me move the rest of my large furniture items. We were all standing there, in the kitchen, and I was telling him all of the horror stories from the past week. When my cousin laughs and he looks at the fridge and says, this chain wouldn't have stopped me. I'm like, what do you mean? It's a fucking machine chain. This thing's huge. I don't have the key to the lock. So he walks over and lifts the fridge doors off the hinges. With the fridge now completely doorless, he took the six-pack of bottled beer and distributed it amongst my family. We laughed, drank, and packed up the U-Haul. And then my cousin gathered all the empty beer bottles, filled them back up with water, and pounded the caps back on. He put them back in the fridge, just as they had been, and lifted the doors back onto the hinges. Man, what I would have given to be there when he popped open one of those beers and drank it. The last things I did before I placed my keys on the counter and pulled away in my U-Haul was wrote him a note. It wasn't long, and there wasn't a lot that I had to say about things. It said, how miserable of an existence you lead with so little time to lead it. It saddens me, honestly, to think that Memories like these will be your legacy. You'd think that someone who's dying would actually know what matters in life. At least now, I'll get to grow old with someone. That is the single only gift you've ever given me. And that's so much better than the iWatch to measure the time that I wasted with you or the photo frames filled with lies that we both told ourselves. So, cheers to that.
And then I turn the thermostat up to 95 degrees, place my keys on the counter, and I never looked back. My husband and I had already been friends for over a year at this point. In fact, one point he actually loaned me a truck to help me move out of C's house. When I returned the truck, we went to dinner to just talk and hang out, but we really clicked. There was no dead silence, only deep, meaningful conversation and laughter. I actually told my roommate at the time that I didn't want to keep seeing my now husband initially, because, and I quote, he's not the kind of guy you see casually, he's the kind of guy you marry. And I really did not want to be in a relationship at that moment in time, but I also knew that he was something special, and I wanted to hold on to it. We ended up spending more and more time together in the weeks that followed, and everything just fell into place. I had never experienced finishing another person's sentences to speaking out loud and the other person says I literally was just thinking about that. We truly do operate on the same wavelength. We had an intimacy from day one where we were very open and very honest with each other. We shared the same sense of humor and values. He has the same passion for business and building wealth and growing as a person like I do. but he also completes me in places where I fall short. I get very uptight and hyper-focused, especially on work, which is my art. And with the inclusion of the vlog and the podcast, I'm super busy and I'm always trying to get the next thing done and the next goal achieved. And he often counters that with his lighthearted silliness that I lose in those moments. I am an emotional person, an empath, if you will. And I feel very deeply, not only my own emotions, but the emotions of everyone else, like a sponge. And he is very compartmentalized and logical. He doesn't allow himself to jump to the worst case scenario conclusions the way I do. And about things, he thinks very analytically in a pragmatic way, which I used to hate because I couldn't read him for the longest time. And I felt like he was kind of cold or just didn't care. He, he rarely cried or showed emotion to me, but it's actually best this way. He is this rock that I can count and depend on. And also, his lack of outright emotions shelters me from taking them on to myself and having his energy drain me the way most of my exes had. He is honest and hardworking, and above all, he is kind. He is the kindest human being I have ever had the pleasure of dating. He isn't jealous or controlling. He isn't judgmental or critical of me. He's all the good that I wanted from the people in my past and none of the bad that came along with it. And I realize we're still a very young relationship. We only dated three years before we got married. But I can only write what I feel and know now in this present moment. So as much as many of you may have your doubts about us or us lasting, we certainly don't. We are, for all intensive purposes, 
our own idea of perfection. And I really do plan on working as hard as I humanly can to ensure that we stay that way. say that dating in this industry is easy because it hasn't been. A lot of it has been trial and error, some has been negative, but right now, right now it's great. I've finally found my person in this world and I know in my heart that nobody could take his place. Honestly, I'd feel bad to watch someone try. The bar is set so high and it's set there mainly because I chose to place it there. I chose not to relive these same triumphs and tribulations over again with different characters or different names. I chose not to let my love life become a pattern. I chose to be in a relationship that met the criteria that I feel I deserve and that I wanted. And I didn't do it hastily. I waited for the right person to come along. And then, I convinced him that I was his right person too. That, well, that's a story for another day. I'm Mel Rose, and this has been episode three of the Seen and Not Heard podcast. Huge thank you this week for the support of Reggie. Reggie is one of my supporters over at Patreon, but he is also the very first individual sponsor of this podcast via the Anchor app. Reggie, people like you make me feel like my voice has a place in this world, a place to be heard and nurtured and to flourish in a place where where people like me don't usually get to. I really appreciate you and your continued support for every single thing that I do. Thank you so much. Also, here's a quick shout-out from one of the listeners of my show. If you're interested in getting a shout-out possibly featured on one of the episodes, all you have to do is look for the directions at the end of my podcast videos on YouTube. There's directions on how to get your shout-outs featured. I look forward to hearing from you. Hey, Melrose, this is R.R. I wanted to congratulate you on your new podcast. I look forward to listening. Much love, sweetheart. next week on the seen and not heard podcast i wonder if i'm the only person who struggled with the things that i'm talking about you know like balancing relationships and webcam or even some of the other stuff i've mentioned like telling your family or being bullied online by trolls i know i'm not the only cam girl who's been there and done that so i figured for variety i'd introduce you to one Well, this guy started, like, saying things to me, like, oh, you used to live here? Or, hey, you know, you really shouldn't post that, you know, you live on blah, 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 address. And I was like, well, how did you know that? Well, he has literally found out all this information about me. My name, my first name, my last name, my mom, my mom's phone number. Like, he literally just started digging into my personal life. That went on for years.